Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. On the last episode of Guilt. Oh yeah, he up there. He was very besotted with his children. He yeah. just he said they're the best thing that ever happened to him. Yeah. And why hadn't we done it earlier? From the outside looking in, he was kind of a square peg trying to fit into a round hole with the personality types down there because he, he was um, super intelligent um, to a point where the social skills weren't as um, easy for him. You know, he got on really well with people, but he did find it difficult just... disturbs some people. Today we can officially announce that New Zealand Steel has cracked the code. On the 21st of June 2004, scientist Jim Donnelly vanished from his work at the Glenbrook Steel. From Brevity Studios in New Zealand, I'm Ryan Wolfe, and this is Guilt. Before we get into this episode, I just want to say a big thank you for taking the time to listen to Jim's story. We've had so much positive feedback and it's all really appreciated. I just want to remind you that if you're really loving this podcast and you want to support it further, access all the available episodes right now ad-free and get a ton of bonus content, you can subscribe to the Brevity Studios channel on Apple+. And if you haven't already, please take a second to hit follow on whatever platform you're listening on 
And if you're enjoying the podcast, give us a five-star rating. It really helps others find the podcast and ultimately share Jim's story. Now let's head back to our interview with Jim's wife, Tracy. In the previous episode, we focused on Jim, his family, and his character. In this episode, Tracy's going to take us right back to when the bizarre string of events began. And despite what has often been described in the media, or not described, is arguably the first event in a string of odd occurrences. And this is a car accident that occurred while Tracy was overseas weeks before Jim's eventual disappearance. A car accident that to this day holds some mystery. I'm just thinking the best way to approach this, but I mean, we can go, um, why don't we might as well go back to that weekend, I suppose. Um, I don't know where we should start, but so Jim was obviously acting a bit odd. What was the first time, what was the first thing you noticed when? Okay, well, we're going back just a little bit further than that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I went to Canada in the April, May, April, April, I don't know, April, May, yeah, I think it was late April, early May with work. Yeah. Um, and so he was looking after children full time then um, and had a car accident. He, he had an accident? Yeah, because he rang me when I was in Canada and said, oh, um, what sort of car would you like next? <laughs> and I went, mm, oh, God, I like my car. <laughs> and he goes, oh, um, it's been an accident. I went, oh, who was in the car? And he goes, I don't, no, 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 it was fine. It was just me. <laughs> and he goes, um, yeah, so we need to buy a new car. Oh, no. So I was like, holy God, okay. Um, so, yeah, so that, so I was away in Canada. He was, yeah, he'd had a car accident. Well, I mean, so on like a write-off, obviously. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so when I came back, um, so that's me. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was, must have been April that I was away then, because I, oh, I came back and the weekend it was Mother's Day weekend, because we went out looking for cars and we went out to see his mother and he dropped the camera, and it, it was had a bit of a meltdown. But he, yeah, he was just. I never, between then and when he went missing, I never actually found out what actually happened with that car accident. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, so you don't really know anything about it? No, apart from the fact that I saw my car in, at the panel beaters and that they'd written it off. Um, oh. He had done the insurance stuff and we finally found another car. Um, when, when you saw the car, I mean, was it? Are we, what kind of crash are we talking about? Like a, It something? was just the front end of it, yeah. really. Well, there was not sort of like it... He'd had another car or another car had yeah. come round. It was, yeah. I don't even. I don't know a lot about that. Oh, okay. And so, you didn't explain it or anything? not really. He was at the at that time. His mother was really sick, and he was going back and forth to his mother's all the time. So it was one of those trips, and he'd had that accident. Um, but he but he said he was fine, and um, the. It was both their faults. Yeah. What was the time difference between the crash and when you got back? Like, how long? Um, probably a week. Oh, right. So, yeah. oh, so he's had the crash. You've come back about a week later, and then a couple of weeks later, he's gone missing, roughly. Is that? Um, so it's all happened within quite a... Yeah, it's about a, yeah, about a month, probably. Okay. Yeah. 
So, yeah, so he was kind of distracted. So that's, I came back to a person that was kind of distracted about things. Um, So it wasn't just that weekend. It was kind of things building up um, from, from that period of time that he was preoccupied, so to speak. But it just ramped up spectacularly for that weekend. So, yeah, he was feeling um, not uncomfortable, not uncomfortable, but just preoccupied with something. Something was going on, but it didn't really come to a head until that weekend. And then that weekend, um, when he said that I had to cancel our night out, because in between that, we'd had my nephew's christening, which was on Queen's birthday weekend. And at that stage, um, you know, it, that weekend he was fine. We were socialising, we had all the family. And yeah, is that the weekend in between? Yeah, that was Week about the 6th or 7th, because yeah. um, that's around his birthday. Okay. So we had, and so instead of going away for his birthday then, I postponed it till that, the, the next couple of weeks because um, we had family and everybody around and... Yeah. I mean, we were doing um, spontaneous karaoke. <laughs> no, no good. alcohol was involved. What? I know it was really weird. It was that just one of those. It was just one of those. That scary karaoke. Well, we no had. Well, no. Well, we weren't really singing. We were just lip syncing. Oh right? right, okay. Yeah, two songs here, and um, you know, so he did a. It was you know like we had um, aunties and uncles and my cousins, and it was just. A really good weekend, yeah. and um, and so he was acting perfectly normal at that. Yeah, point. yeah. But that was after the point you had sort of noticed he'd become a bit preoccupied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just little things, but um, and then we sort of yeah shifted into it got you know the weekend before before he went missing on the Monday on the Tuesday. So that weekend was just weird. Okay. Let's take a moment here to unpack. It's crucial that we have an accurate timeline of how Jim's behaviour changed and when. In April 2004, Tracy went on a work trip to Canada. Approximately one week before her return, Jim phones to say he's been in a car accident and she'll need a new car. Tracy did see the car at the panel beaters with damage to the front of the vehicle significant enough for an insurance write-off. But to this day, still has no idea what took place, who was involved, when, and where. Tracy returns home to find Jim acting noticeably odd, preoccupied, with something on his mind. This is highlighted by Jim overreacting and having what Tracy refers to as a meltdown over the simple mistake of dropping a camera. This tends to indicate a person that is under stress or worry. We all know that time we've overreacted similarly at a time we're under duress, So what's the cause of this? There are two obvious reasons we know of that could be contributing to this. Jim's mother being very ill and this car accident. It's also important to note that Queen's birthday, which is the first weekend in June, two weeks before Jim would disappear, he was acting normally. So whatever was on his mind wasn't all-encompassing at this point, but that would soon change on Friday, June 18th, 2004. A day Tracy won't soon forget. 
from the fr- from the Friday night through to when he to the Monday sort of thing, he yeah. was um, not relaxed. He was something. Yeah. Would you almost say there was something had really ramped whenever he was feeling yeah. up? Yeah, yeah. And um, that's I had no idea what it was. Um, yeah, it's all sorts of things going through my head uh, because it wasn't normal. Yeah, it totally wasn't normal at all. Give me an example of what some examples of things if you can remember of you know these some of the odd behaviour that he was exhibiting at that time. Well, he wasn't sleeping. There's a lot of sleep, not just not sleeping, um, and um, he was when his on on the Saturday morning when his friend Stephen came round. Um, he wasn't making much sense, and I we were having discussed. You know, there was the three of us plus the children, and he was just oh, was a bit odd. And that was that. That was when he um, no. After Stephen left, that was when he told me that we had to cancel our evening out because my my parents were going to um, babysit the children, and then and he said to me. Um, because I got cross, and uh, he said, you, you, "You probably need to go and see. Your, go go around and see your parents." You know, sort of thing. Yeah, I'm going, yeah. Don't you tell me what to do. Just to clarify, Jim goes missing on Monday, June twenty first, two thousand and four. The weekend Tracy is now referring to is the weekend immediately prior, in particular the days of Friday, June eighteenth, through to that Monday. Can uh-huh. you get quite cross at times? Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it was just like, I was really looking forward to this weekend away. It was no children. We were, we were staying in a nice hotel in town and um, we were going to the movies. We were going to have a dinner out. It was just like, oh, who wouldn't be upset if somebody cancelled on that? I'd be in big trouble. <laughs> yeah. So I said, you know, I, I was getting, I was like, oh, I'll just go myself. You know, I was just like, damn yeah. But I ended up, I ended up around at my parents' place having a chat to them, and then they were sort of like, "Well, um, yeah, it sounds a bit odd." If you'll recall from the police timeline, Tracy is now referring to the planned stay at the Hyatt Hotel on Saturday, June nineteenth, which was cancelled due to Jim needing to go to a meeting. So why did he say that not to go? Oh, he had a meeting to go to. Yeah, right. So this is the meeting. Yeah. So this is so it was. So, so that all started the Saturday morning, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, and so, yeah, I went around to my parents. They, they said, well, should we have a ch- try and have a chat to come and find out what's happening? And and I said, oh, okay, all right. But, I, yeah, I was just really, really disappointed and really cross about the whole thing because I was really looking forward to it. But, yeah, time away, just the two of us. I was just like, what? You know? And I had a expiry date on this voucher thing, so it was kind of like we'd oh. left it to the last minute, so it was going to go anyway. Oh, no. So, and anyway, so I'd cancelled it, and then we went round, and so my parents tried to talk to him, and they just said, we're just getting nowhere. Um, and I went in and said, well, if you're not, you know, not going to tell me or anything, well, maybe you need to leave. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um just it was kind of pushing to that point of how important really is this because um I just I don't get it and um and so what was he saying uh, at this point they're sort of saying hey what's up and what's he saying just nothing. He, n- nothing he just said no I just I have to I have to do this you know um 
So my mum came to me after talking to, you know, and she said, you know, she says, I think, you know, it's up to you what you do, but I, he really, really does have to go to this, whatever it is. He won't tell us either. Um, so she said, you know, we'll support you either way if you want him to move out. or I said, well, no, no, really, that's not what I want. What I really want is to find out what's what's going on. But if, if he can't tell me, then I'm just going to have to let him go, mm. you know. So and at that point, so I just went in and I just said, well, okay, if it's that important, um, then, yeah, that's fine, go, go. You don't need to leave or, you know, sort of thing. Because he was down, oh, that's right, he was down the bedroom packing a bag and mum said, he's just devastated. He just, you know, doesn't want, I said, what? I just don't, I don't want him to go. I just don't know how to deal with this. I want to pause quickly to empathise with Tracy in this moment. Imagine your partner abruptly cancels your planned romantic getaway with no reason other than that they have to attend a meeting, but will provide zero explanation as to what this meeting might entail. I know how that would go down in my house, and I can only imagine how tense the situation must have been. An exasperated Tracy has given Jim an ultimatum, but in an emotional moment, he's called her bluff. Whatever this meeting is, he's decided, in that moment, that it's more important than his family. Yeah, it's almost a bit of an empty... You're sort of threatening. You want him to be like, no, 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 this is what's actually yeah. going on. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But yeah. he still hasn't. He's no. he's made the decision to pack his bags yeah. instead of... Telling me. So I just went, well, it, it's... Whatever it is, there's... I've just got to let him do it. Yeah. And so... I went down and so that was fine and he just said oh I'll just go out and get some clothes for tonight what was his sort of at the time so you go down and, and said to him um, look you can go to this meeting yeah what was his sort of emotional state at this point he was he must have been relieved yeah but he was still sort of very just like vacant almost yeah yeah, yeah. not and so and he just sort of said you know okay I've got to go and get some clothes and I said What's wrong with your clothes? Oh, no, I need something better. Right. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's really odd because he, didn't, he doesn't really care about clothes. So I was like, okay. So, yeah, so he went off yeah. um, and came back later with the suit that he um, wore that night. It was just sort of like a dinner suit. Yeah. Um, oh, that's, so it was a dinner suit. Yeah, so it wasn't. Not, not like a... Like what a lawyer would wear, like what you would wear. What's a, a dinner suit? Or is that black tie? Yeah, that's thing. like a wedding. Yeah. So it was a black tie. We, yeah, from what I remember. Um, yeah. yeah, it was a full-on suit. Yeah. So um, I was like, mm, okay. Um, so then he then he was in a, in the study, sort of on his computer, um, and I sort of popped in, and that was when he said to me, he said. Um, I oh, um I just need to let you know I might be I could be fragile tomorrow. Yeah. And I was like, oh. <laughs> okay. So, do you mean? So I came back. I went away and thought about it. And then I came back. I said, do you mean physically or mentally fragile? And then he said to me, um, physically. It's like, out. You must have been. Spinning out. 
And I was thinking, oh my God, he thinks he's going to get a beating. Um, or was there initiations of something yeah. that that's this? And I'm like, what the hell? And I was thinking, oh my God. So I rang his sister in Christchurch and I said, no, I said, hold on, this this is what's going on. What do you think? And she sort of said, well, he obviously needs to go to this meeting. And um, and I said, and I told her, and she's going, yes, she just she couldn't make head nor tail of it. So um, yeah, I went out, decided, all right, well, I'm staying home with the kids, so we'll go and get some videos. At that time, you went to a video store. Yeah, <laughs> oh, video stores. <laughs> So we went to a video store, got some videos, came home, and just as we were pulling up, um, he we raced out to his car in because I thought it's Liam, and he raced out to the car in his suit, and um, Liam goes, "Oh, Dad's all dressed up." Yeah. <laughs> and I go, "Yeah, he is," <laughs> and he took off. One thing I've noticed when speaking to Tracy is she has a tendency to nervously laugh at points when she's recalling what are obviously traumatic memories. It's possible this may come across the wrong way for some people, but I can assure you this type of behaviour is a common occurrence among people who have suffered deep emotional trauma. It's the brain's defence mechanism, a way she's unknowingly protected herself from reliving the pain when recalling these events. You just didn't say a word then, in the car and off you went. Yeah. Um, and then, um, yeah, so we had the evening there. Um, it wasn't, he did, he wasn't away that long. It was under two hours from what I remember. And then he turned up back at home. Um, so he said, oh, um, walking down the hallway, he said, oh, um, something, um, the words, if you, if you knew what was in my mind now, you wouldn't be worried. Uh, family comes first. Family's the most important. Mm. Um, have you had dinner? And I went, yeah, I have. And he goes, oh, I've just got some Chinese. So that's fine. That was a bit odd. And I was like, yeah, okay. So he goes, oh, will you, uh, and will you have a glass of wine with me? Because I said I'd eat. And I said, yeah, fine, I'll have a glass of wine. And then he sat down on the uh, couch, had a wine and, a, um, and something to eat, and then he started falling asleep. So I just told him to go to bed. Um... Liam and I would finish watching this movie. I can't remember what the Siobhan well, was. Were you, were you sort of pretty grumpy at him at this point still? I was exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. And we were watching a movie and, you know, like trying not to show the frustration and everything in front of the children because, you know, you're just trying to keep it normal. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, he went off to bed. Then I um, finished the movie. We went off to bed and then the next thing I know, he's up really early the next morning and gone for a walk, which was unusual. What's Didn't, really early? Um, oh, six o'clock-ish. Okay, yeah. Yeah, on a Sunday. Um, he went for a walk, but then I thought, well, maybe... I was, I'd gone for a walk the day before to just clear my head. I thought, well, maybe he's just trying to clear his head. You know, he's, he's not physically hurt <laughs> from last night, so... It's a positive. Yep. So, okay. Um, What is next day? So he went out with Liam to um, play a round of golf. Well, you know, do the driving driving range and do go and see his mother. 
And because of, when I'm locked back on the timeline, that was her birthday, I think. And yeah, so he went to see his mother and went to the shopping and then he came home and in a rush and dropped off Liam and said, um, I've got to go out again. I've got to go out and avert a crisis and a waste. And a waste. Yes. And I went, what? It's what, 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 we took off. And I'm like. Here we go again. <laughs> so, yeah, so I found so Liam and I said, without, trying, without upsetting him or anything, I just said, right, um, you went out with your father. <laughs> Did you go and play golf? Yes, 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 we had a great time, you know. Um, do you go and see your nana? Yes, we went and saw nana and everything, and I had such and such. It was like, okay, right, and did you do the grocery shopping? Yep, yep. So that was in the back of the car he'd yep. taken off with. Oh, right. <laughs> and I was like, so he was really feeling some, the pressure to do something. Yeah. Because um, he didn't unpack that. And, uh, and then I said to him, um, did you go anywhere else? No. Okay. And I said, okay. He said, like, how do you, how do you word it for a child? Mm. <laughs> it's like, okay, so did you, did you happen to go anywhere when nobody was home? You know? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We went around to Stephen's. Uh, Stephen and yeah. De- nobody was home. And I went, okay, all right, fine. That's so, I kind of knew where his movements were. Yeah. So um, that was fine. And then, <laughs> He came home. Um, he has probably gone another couple of hours or so this time. So he came home and I went down to the bedroom away from the children to sort of go, what's going on? And um, and he goes, oh, you know, um, you know that we've, we've had an issue down at work. And I went, no. Um, he said, well, I just had to whip down there. And I went, uh, no, you didn't. I said, don't, no, I, no you're lying to me. And he's going, oh, yes, I can't lie, can I? No, not really. <laughs> so he said, oh, he says, I can't tell you what it is. And I'm, um, I can't, no, I can't tell you at the moment. I was sort of like, and I took that to mean he'll eventually tell me. Yeah. So I'm going to, not my normal MO, <laughs> I'm going to let it go. <laughs> Usually I just keep going. <laughs> Until I get a reaction, but I was like, okay, we've got time. Let's just leave that, you know, the whole weekend. I'm doing my head in. You know, you don't know who to turn to, to talk to you, because you don't know who's involved, who's not, or if anybody is. So I just, yes. So he was pacing around that night. Uh, We both actually didn't eat dinner because we were both so wound up, tuned up. Um, and so, yeah, we eventually went to bed. Um, and then, then the next thing, he's waking me up in the morning saying he's off to work. That was about five o'clock in the morning. Um, which was not unusual, yeah. you know. So, but I just was worried about his lack of sleep over the weekend and what was going on. Um, so that was what happened. And then I got up and got the children ready for school. Um, school and then saw the suit there and I thought what the hell do I do with this Um, because he hadn't said anything about it but it was all sort of packaged up and um, so I went 
And so I thought, oh, I'll ring him at work. So that, I rang him before I left the house to find out what I needed to do with the suit. So I put the suit in the car. Um, and I think I, I, yeah, I can't remember when I returned the suit, but I returned it at some stage. Um, or somebody else did. I can't remember that part. Um, do you remember where, where it was hired from? Did yeah, you, yeah. Did you it speak was, to them at the time and ask them if you'd mentioned anything? No. No, the, the, the police did and things yeah. like that. But um, because he'd left something there too, he'd left a, um, a jersey thing that he'd been wearing that day. So um, that was collected. Yeah. yeah. I don't know who returned the suit, whether I did or, or what, but... I know I rang him to find out because I saw it there what was happening with this and um, then I went to work after dropping the children and then spent the, <laughs> the morning discussing it with my manager about my weird weekend yeah. <laughs> going I have no idea what's happening and I don't know you know and then I got a phone call um, oh no actually no I rang Debbie first and I rang Debbie and I just went over told her what had happened and she goes, she was sort of went, oh, I don't like the sound of all of that. And so she got hold of Stephen. And then Stephen, the guy that trespassed Jim out of the his work area, um, had got hold of Stephen. So when Stephen rang me, he says, I think we've got a bigger problem than we think. Because all I was really doing was talking to Debbie to discuss maybe we get the boys together and maybe he might tell Stephen what was going on. So um, we'd sort of said, right, okay, well, tonight when Jim gets home and Stephen gets home, they'll go down the road and have a beer and see if we can make some sense about what's happening. Um, So then after Stephen found out about the trespass... If you'll recall, this reference to Jim being trespassed took place at 6.30pm when Jim showed up at a secure car park of Profile Publishing Limited, 72 Dominion Road, Mount Eden. Jim's odd behaviour caused enough concern for staff to call both the police and security services. It just so happened that this was also the location of his best friend Stephen's work, and when he said to Tracy that he'd gone to avert a crisis and a waste, he had in fact come here. Um, that's we found out later um, on the Sunday, the two hours that he uh, went to avert a crisis in a waste, and then we found out from where we bought the Chinese that that was about the same area of town that he was in both times. In fact, an FPOS transaction recovered by the police showed that Jim had visited a Chinese takeaways literally right across the road from this car park at Stephen's work on his earlier trip when he was supposed to be attending the meeting. Stephen said it's literally right across the road. Yeah, um, yeah. So he must have gone back there again. So we all, all we, yeah, we just don't know why, you know. Whether that was around the area was where the meeting was supposed to take place and it just happened to be a coincidence that Stephen's work was there. And then the second time he was back there... As the security guard said, he was looking quite panicked or um, worried, you know, all of those sorts of things when he saw him. I'm not making any sense. So he was kind of like in a um, fight or, you know, that fight or flight sort of type of um, adrenaline running um, type of thing. And 
maybe he felt that that was a safe place or we don't know. We, we just don't know whether that the, it was just a coincidence that Stephen happens yeah. to work there. It's not a coincidence though. On the surface, it seems too much of a coincidence that Jim would happen to be at Stephen's work for some other unknown reason. But the reality is that Stephen doesn't work weekends and Jim knows this. So what was Jim doing in the same location at the Chinese restaurant and at Stephen's work on two separate occasions over the course of this weekend? And why the odd behaviour? Could it be that Jim had chosen this as a meeting location due to the fact he was familiar with the spot? Let's pick back up with Tracy describing Jim getting up at 5am and heading to work. She then calls Debbie, Stephen's wife, to discuss Jim's bizarre behaviour over the weekend. But um, sorry, you were just saying before we were going through that timeline, um, uh, you were just up to, did Stephen had called you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because we're, Cause he, we're he, on that morning. So we've gone, he's gone to work, Stephen's called you. And yeah, you were, he... You were a meeting, weren't you? Yeah, that was what I was doing with Debbie. And then Stephen rang me and he said, I just need to check the number plate yeah. just to make sure that that was the car. Yeah. And it was Jim's number plate that was on the, the thing from the security guard. So he goes, oh, so that's when he decided to ring. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The mill. And then found out that they thought he was off sick because he'd missed the 9 o'clock handover meeting. Um, and so that's when... Um, Stephen decided that he, him and Clayton would go and check our house just in case he'd gone back home and he might not be in any fit state, who knows. So they went around um, and found out that, no, the car wasn't back there and Jim wasn't there. So then they rang the mill again and they then found his car in a different area than where he normally parked. So they knew he was there, but then they couldn't find him. Yeah. So that's was sort of it was getting on to the afternoon, and that's when they asked me to go down to um, Papakura Police Station and lodge a missing person. Um, really, that that quick? Well, I think it was because of all all what had happened that weekend. Yeah. So you'd you'd feel them in on that, or Stephen had already? Well, no, we hadn't really, but it was it was also because it's a steel mill. And yeah. I don't know. We we just we just said no. We've got to do something. And um, yeah, and they had someone out at the mill. I think the mill were um, 
proactive in that yeah. and getting and getting someone out there. Um, the, the guy came from um, Pukakoi, uh Police um, out to the mill, and they sort of started it. So, yeah. Then I ended up out there that night. Oh, so they let you go out there and search with them or? No, 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 no. no. I just sitting in the boardroom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, we weren't allowed on. Yeah, nobody was allowed on site, but we were there to talk to the um, the people that were doing sort of coordinating, so yeah. like search and rescue. And, you know, like you'd go through, oh, that was when they were talking about the weekend and things like that. And they said he was. Um, you know, the search and rescue guy sort of said, well, no, he's not He's not a suicide risk that we mm-hmm. can see uh, from that. But, um, you know, they, they were just trying to see whether he might have sort of had a breakdown or something like that yeah. and might be out in the in the land. Because the mill's huge. Yes. yes. Like, it looks like it's the size of a city. Yeah. You know, a, a it is. Yeah. It is. It's, it's huge. So, yeah, so that's kind of when all the health and safety and things started um, ramping up and they were searching um, the areas. Yeah. I, I just expected that. What he'd, were you thinking at that time? He'd had an accident and yeah. he'd fallen down somewhere, maybe broken his arm or his leg or wouldn't, wasn't able to contact somebody and they'd find him. Yeah. So at, the, at that time, you, you didn't really think it was necessarily connected to what? No, 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 no. I just thought that, that, yeah, it was just, you know, that. And even when time went on that week, um, and, you know, somebody sort of mentioned something, well, well you know, and I went, oh, don't be silly. It's just this, yeah. this, this logical explanation here, and it's, you know, <laughs> yeah. nothing untowards going to have happened to him because we. We yeah. don't do anything yeah. that would facilitate that happening in our lives, you yeah. know. Um, that, that you know, when you're at that first sort of meeting and stuff, uh, you said the mill was quite proactive. But were they when you're in, at that stage and the police are there? And what were they like in terms of? Were they quite cagey about everything? What was just their general reaction of the managers and stuff? Were they? Oh, look, it, it, um, at that stage. Um, that first week, two weeks, they were all very um, well. They, they were um, working really hard to find them yeah. and find out what you know. Sort of, they had all their protocols going, and the only thing was that inside the mill, it could only be searched by the mill um, workers, not any civilians or even the police. That's so, um, search and rescue were out in the fields and. Um, uh, Dean Duffy is the guy that I talked to and um, just had to sort of talk to him. He was one that was one of the coordinators yeah. um, and he was sort of, because we went out into the field and put food packages around just in yeah. case, but he said he could be quite paranoid if he's out here about touching any of this stuff, um, which I took on board because that's possible. Um but yeah, so it wasn't you know sort of yeah. So they 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 were working with the police and everything was fine for those first couple of weeks, and then it was kind of like, well, they've yeah, nothing's come up. He must have left, so it's no longer our problem. The Glenbrook steel mill itself is set over more than five hundred hectares. Much of this is the mill proper, but surrounding the mill itself is farmland, also owned by the mill. 
And on the western side of the mill is the Waiuku River, which is actually an estuary which connects to the Manukau Harbour and eventually the sea. In the early hours of Jim's disappearance, searches were being conducted both inside the mill and externally outside the mill, and these searches were extensive, involving land, sea and air. Despite a few false leads, not a trace of Jim was ever found. As a result of this, after a couple weeks, it was the belief of the mill management that Jim was not located on the grounds, and therefore was no longer their problem. That's despite the fact Jim's hard hat was located five days after his disappearance in a location that, according to the mill, had already been thoroughly and extensively searched. That the hard hat and the rest of it, that was found... A week later. Yeah, a week, wasn't it? Yeah. So what was their response to that? Um, so, yeah, can you remember? So what, there was this hat and his... How did you find out about that? Um, I got a phone call from, um, I can't remember who it was, it was probably the police, just saying that they had located Jim's hard hat because he had a a different one to most people, his had earmuffs on it. Um, So they'd located that beside an acid bath um, and then they were draining the acid bath. And, um, you know, at that stage I was like, I mean, of course, yeah, yeah. It wasn't until about um, yeah, 24 hours later that I found out that the acid in the bath was, it wouldn't have dissolved anything. Um, and then once I drained it, they'd found um, a, a little bit of cash, um, his Palm Pilot, some keys, his library card, his um, work credit card. I think it was battle, but they were all. When you heard this, I mean, it was very odd. So I thought, you know, if Jim had put them there, is there a message? Yeah, but it was not. It was not logical enough for him. But I was trying to make it logical. I was trying to make it fit because you know you just want to. Well, you know, is he trying to tell me something? Yeah. But um, as as the years go on, it's just it was no logic to what was thrown in there. It was just uh, random crap, and um, from but from his person. The thing that's you know, I mean, so the thing that I find interesting with it, I mean, obviously, the key to that is the location. Is it in a spot where? It could have been overlooked for a week, or no, is it in a spot no, where it no, couldn't have been overlooked no. for a week? We went into the mill um, a year later, and and they showed us the area, and there is oh, so no you've way actually, you've actually seen it. Did you get photos of that spot or anything? No, but the police have those because um, that's yeah, they, they, they've got all those. Um, I'm sure that they'll give them to you. So I mean, because for me, that was the real key, and the thing that sort of yeah, no, there was no me, way. Yeah, because I mean, if it's been put there, then I mean, well. Someone's covering something up. Yeah. So. Well, oh, and Stephen mentioned something about, oh, cool, you've actually got a. Yeah, this is this is what they get given. So. Do you have any more other copies of this? No, one? no, but you can. You can send me a photo of each yeah. page or something. So that's the four high. So this is the area that he worked in, right? Yeah. So. Um, yes. I'm just trying to work out. He worked because he, he's he's worked hot strip pickle line. 
Tracy shuffles through a stack of documents she's collected over the last 18 years that have been sitting on the table between us. She pulls out a map titled Rolling Mills Plant Plan. On first glance, it looks more like a technical drawing of a circuit board than the map of a plant. The sheer number of different buildings and lines, each represented by a different shaped box. It becomes immediately clear how difficult a search of an area like this would be. And the Rolling Mills plant is just one plant of many over the entire NZ Steel property. You're going to hear a lot of steel mill terminology over the course of this podcast, and we're going to learn what all these things mean in an episode very soon. But for now, when you hear the terms 4 high and 6 high, these are machines that roll steel progressively thinner. A 4 high has 4 rollers, and a 6 has 6. It was next to one of these machines that Jim's hard hat would be located by Bruce Robinson on Saturday the 26th of June. So we had, so there was, um, it said that his clothes and stuff were, when he got there, his office and stuff, where was that? Was that that's a whole separate part to That's this? a whole separate okay, part. Yeah. That, that's, we, uh, yeah, I'm not just not sure where that, what building that would be in, so right. you'd need to talk to someone about that. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of the yeah, o- overview of the mill. And so where was the, um, where was the hard hat? Um, it was in, it was in the, round the, the four high. Oh, okay, so this thing here. Yeah. So yeah, and I said to them, well, so what's the difference between a six and a four? It's got that's got six rollers. That's got four of so, rolls of the or metal. Steel or whatever, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, so it was in this. It was in the cold finishing plant somewhere, which I think the offices were up up above. Oh right. Okay. So, yeah, so we kind of walked through it, and it was pretty open. Yeah, so, no, they, there was no way that they that it would have been overlooked with the um, hard hat. It's so odd, isn't it? So, yeah, so that's... So I don't know whether there's... Questions over the hard hat are going to be fundamental to this podcast. We're going to cover in depth in upcoming episodes, the details surrounding its location, the search, and the likelihood of it being found by speaking to people who were actually there, involved in the search for Jim. But aside from the mystery surrounding how it was found and when, is the most fundamental question, why? Why would either Jim, or presumably someone else, put it there? If the intention of throwing the items in the vat was to conceal then why signpost the spot by placing Jim's hard hat in the open right next to it? But, you know, the, the thing as yeah. well is, I mean, if, you know, what would, what was the, whoever put it there, let's say, let's say they were trying to, what, what would be the purpose of even placing that stuff there? Do they think throwing the things in the acid, they're like, oh, that'll dissolve it or something? Because why know. would you even do it? Why wouldn't you just take that stuff with you or? I don't know. You wouldn't just put it in an open and, and, place and like that. Because, well, some of the thinking with the police was that Jim had put it there. Yeah. And I'm like, so this is a secure, safe site. And a person... Oh, you mean come back into the melon And yep. a person that you're looking for mm. has been has been able to access and do that. Um, why weren't 
Mm. Why weren't people seen, you know, doing, you know, you knew you had someone missing out of that, mm. in that mill. How could you, how could someone get back in there and leave that stuff? This point over here, is this, because there's farm and stuff, yeah. is that out this way? Um, I'm not sure. Like I'm not, I'm not sure how it all. But it is a huge area. I mean, yeah. It, it is yeah. possible. We can't do that he, if let's say so they're saying he could have come in the night or something like that and gone and, and put it there. Yes, but what but what I'm saying to them, what I was trying to say mm. to them is that, but you knew you had someone missing. Mm. Would you not have had people watching areas mm. for that sort of thing? I mean, over that week, you still had search and rescue out in the fields. Yeah, right. So, how could someone access mm. a secure site? Inside the building and leave that mm. stuff without being seen. Yeah. So they have big fences around the outside, sort of thing. What kind of security do they? Yeah. Farmland. Yeah. Yeah. Farmland, and then in buildings, you'd have to know your way around the building yeah. to leave the stuff to to put that stuff in. You'd have to know. You'd you'd have to be either. Yeah, you'd have to be someone that works in that area to be able to leave that stuff. And also, um, it's a hard hat area. So if you're leaving your hard hat, then you're walking around with no hard hat on. That would be noticeable too. In 2004, NZ Steel was ahead of its time in terms of health and safety. As we heard from Dean in episode one, people knew where other people were at all times. And safety was paramount. And this leads us to another massive question around the hard hat. If Jim had placed the hat there, then that would have meant he would have had to be walking around a strictly hard hat only area with no hat, which would stand out immediately to anyone on site. Or secondly, if someone else was walking around with a separate hard hat, this would also be something someone would have likely noticed at the time or would remember in hindsight. Yet none of these things happened. It's clear that I'm going to need to find out in greater detail exactly how possible it would be for a person to move undetected in this area. For now, I asked Tracy about the unknown vehicle that tried to enter the mill car park the night Jim disappeared, then suspiciously backed out and left with its lights on full. Hmm. So, um, were you there when that car showed up in the... No, no, no. Tell me about the the car that showed up. We just we heard about it yeah. um, from the from the police. It's I believe from because um, we did read some of the file that it was in the file yeah. um, that said that a car drove into the car park uh, near where um, Jim's car was parked. Um, but once they saw the police presence or people around the car, it took off. Yeah. yeah. So our thought was that probably because they had the car keys, someone was going to move the car. So then it looked like he'd, mm. he'd driven himself away. And so just to clarify for the podcast, the car keys were never found? No. Yeah. So that's the that's Car the keys so, and the house keys never found. And so, oh, so they would be, would he normally have all of his keys for work and cut all on one? Or would they be t- separate chains? Because uh, would yes. someone have had to take those off? When they threw the stuff in the vet? Um, if they were usually together, mm. yeah. Um, so you'd have to physically take the car key and the house keys off sort of thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. It was a bunch of keys. They, they were usually together with a Jim had taken them apart at some stage for whatever reason. Yeah. I don't know, but um, yeah, they should have been him in his pocket. As I've previously mentioned, perhaps more interesting than the items that were thrown in the acid vat were the items that weren't. While there were some of Jim's work keys found, his house and car keys were never found. Naturally, this would point towards the fact they were kept for the purposes of being used again. If it were Jim that had thrown the items in the tank, did he keep these keys as he still planned on coming back to his car or returning home? Or did someone else keep these items as they intended to come back for Jim's car or perhaps access his house? While Dave Glossop presented a possible innocent answer for the car, the missing car keys combined with this vehicle certainly warrant further investigation. Tracy and I chat for well over two hours, and I've started to get a sense of just how heavily this must have weighed on her at the time. We need the information to come forward from somebody. Um, You know, and they go, allegiances can change um, over time, and that's the best, you know, we would just have to wait for that. I mean, that must be incredibly difficult to just... Well, yes. To just have no closure. I mean, how how did it affect you over time, just having that on your shoulders? Um, not good, <laughs> honestly. Um, yeah, it was, it was – yeah, I <laughs> go to work and the – you're all over the place. You don't know. One minute you um, can be laughing. The next minute you're angry. The next minute you're um, crying. What, <laughs> just, did you, what did you say to Liam and Siobhan? Uh, yeah, just, just their daddy's missing. Um, Jesus, we don't know. Um, so, yeah, so that's why a year later I did ask them all that, and they would allow, they allowed the children, myself, and I think two others in. Um, and I said, yeah, because they, they said, oh, for what purpose? And I said, well, the children think he's playing hide-and-go-seek still in the mill. So I just would like... And I talked I talked to Liam about it the other day, and, and he said he doesn't remember going in there. Um, but I said, yeah, we, we just kind of did it on that day because it was like a year later, nothing's had changed and the children were still grappling with the with it and the fact that their father was possibly hiding in the in the mill so it, yeah kind of to help them yeah. um but you know the things like they said to me um later you know when i went out at night you know sort of just do social things they would sit here because they were always here. Um, sit here and worrying when they went to sleep that I wasn't going to come home. You know, all of those sorts of things. They were always there. Um, you know, and psychologically, it's just it's it's a hard thing to get your head around. Um, and because you're not knowing where you're going to get something from next. You know, sort of out of the blue, or um, it's just. Functionality, I didn't function very well for quite a few years afterwards. Um, I only worked part time after this happened because I couldn't, I couldn't really do a full time job. Um, I had to go through medical stuff with work. 
Um, they were very helpful. They they put me on quite a few different things to help me. Um, like medicine, you mean? Um, no, just um, a place um, that really helped was called Breathing Works. Oh, like courses sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Just because um, when I went there, they said, um, this was early days, um, I was breathing like I was running a marathon. Um, and it was just, they just taught me how to just take that down <laughs> and um, things like that. And I did have to go into antidepressants because I just wasn't in a, um, I was in a really bad place. Yeah. Um, and sort of, but they, you know, it was always my choice. It wasn't like you have to do this. It was kind of like, um, so I worked with um, the doctors at work and my um, my doctor and and my doctor says, you'll know, she says, I know you'll know when it's, if you need to do this, you know, to go on to antidepressants. And I ended up going, yes, I do, because I just, I was, everything, you know, sort of, I was in the basement of of life with the spiders and the cockroaches. And everything, you know? So I had to get myself out of that for the children. For your kids, yeah. And then, um, and then at work, uh, at school, the teacher said to me now, because um, the children were turning up to school exhausted because I was overcompensating, you know, and they were just like, you know, can you just calm down the um, after school so that they came to school rested, you know, because I was just like, just... Keep them busy sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was... How, I mean, they, I try to imagine if that happened. I mean, were they sort of asking, did they understand? Not really. Not at the time. I mean, you know, right? Yeah, you know, it's like it's. Um, we still, we're all still in counselling. Um, not as not as much as what we were back then, but um, yeah, um, Liam um, was probably worse affected, um, but didn't. But you see, we didn't realise early on that this this was a problem because it wasn't sort of in front of mind like it is these days um, about what happens to you. Um, you sort of you sort of, you, you're you're fine on the outside, but you're falling to pieces inside. So you know people just see the outside and they think that everything's fine, and but you're not. That's you know. Fine. And you just hold, I mean, like I was just holding myself together for quite some years. Um, yeah, so it, 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 the emotional um, toll on you um, is huge, it's immense. Um, it's something that you can't really tell somebody else how, how you are. You just... Yeah, you're just putting one... In the beginning, it felt like you're putting one foot in front of the other. You're on this long road, and you just have to keep on going. Just take each day at a time, sort of thing. Yeah, and then you you just want to get off this and, and, and find some relief from it, but you can't, because every time... Even if you, every diversion you take, you end up back on the road yeah, and moving one step in front of the other and just, you know, because you're, you're watching the children grow up and you're knowing that their father's missing all of this, you're knowing they're missing their father and you, you, you know that internally they're, they're not happy and there's no answers you can give them. 
Um, you know, the probably Siobhan is the not luckiest, but she kind of doesn't remember as much because she was five, um, although it has affected her. Um, but, yeah, and as I said, we're still doing counselling. Yeah. Um, even this many years down the track, um, it doesn't go away. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's kind of like, can I leave this? And then you go, no, I can't. <laughs> um, I, I really, you know, sort of like over the time, you know, like my father um, passed away a couple of years ago. And it's kind of you go through all the grieving space and, you know, it, and it's, it's just you, you can you can deal with that because it's it's a natural progression um, and and you have the closure at the end of it. I mean, in the beginning, I just thought, well, what's the point of funerals? Um, I was like, my husband's just like gone, disappeared. Um, there is no. Um, so what's the point? You know, his body somewhere. Um, I've got. I didn't get to say goodbye. Um, um, and tell him how much he means, you know, meant to me, means to me, you know, any of that. Um, he didn't, his choice was to be an organ donor and he made sure that I was well aware of that and that that was his wish. Um, so if anything happened to him, that's what he wanted. Yeah, he wasn't allowed to do that because, yeah. you know, so all of those things, you know, get wrapped up into it all and you just yeah it just it's the the trauma and the repercussions from the trauma are immense it just yeah never goes away I always um I imagine you know just the house must the home must have a feeling of emptiness when suddenly there's um, yeah. a person not there yeah yeah so it's odd you're sitting up at the bench having dinner and there's only three of you and so you try not you try and avoid doing that um, and yeah just yeah. those sorts of things and then getting used to living with just the three of you and and daddy's never coming home and then you hear the garage you think you hear the garage door and it's not um, all those sorts of things yeah so People use the word closure for a reason. When a friend or family member passes away, we have the opportunity to grieve and go through the psychological process of dealing with great loss that allows us to hurt, heal, and move on with our lives. Sure, when we heal, some scar tissue remains, but imagine never having that opportunity. Instead of the wound healing, it simply remains open forever. Imagine your loved one that went to work this morning, that that was the last time you would ever see them. Did you tell them you loved them? Had you been arguing? What was that last memory? Imagine never having that opportunity to tell them what they mean to you, how much you love them. For myself, And I'm sure most of you listening, it's a thought too horrible to bear. 
Tracy and her children, Liam and Siobhan, have lived this reality for the last 18 years. And emotionally, it's taken a terrible toll. It's been Tracy's dogged determination that has largely kept Jim's case in the spotlight year after year. And I have a lot of admiration for the personal emotional price she must have paid having to relive those events again and again. Many people, including some in Jim's own family, believe it's time to let it go. But for Tracy, the personal sacrifice is worth it. On the chance, however small it might be, that there still may be an answer to this mystery. That someone out there knows something. And personally, I dearly hope that through this podcast, we can not only keep Jim's case alive, but perhaps with the benefit of a fresh set of eyes and the help of you, the listeners, we can achieve the one thing Tracy and her family have always wanted, above justice or answers, and that's to bring Jim home. It's simply not possible to include every moment of every interview in the official podcast, but you can listen to the extended full interview in which Tracy and I discuss different theories and other facts right now by subscribing to the Brevity Studios Apple Plus channel. If you'd like to send your support to Tracy, Liam, Siobhan, and the rest of Jim's family, you can email us at brevitystudiosnz at gmail.com and we'll happily forward any messages on. Guilt is written, produced, and edited by me, Ryan Wolf. The title track is Nuclear Conception by Alison Winter. For further photos and video related to this episode, you can find a companion post on my Instagram, RyanWolfNZ, or our Facebook page, Brevity Studios NZ. For ad-free listening and bonus content, you can subscribe for the price of a coffee on Apple Plus under our Brevity Studios channel. You can also find further information on our website, theguiltpodcast.com. If you have any information related to the disappearance of Jim Donnelly or the subsequent search at the mill, you can contact us anonymously at brevitystudiosnz at gmail.com. On the next episode of Guilt. Me and maybe a couple of others that would have been good friends of his at school. And that's really about it. Um, so religion and church is a compelling option for them as well with the social um, connection and everything else. And, and it resonated with him, you know, with, the, with his religious background. But then, you know, he did that for a couple of years and he really, you know, boots and all into it sort of thing. And um, which he started doing a little bit of the gospel, that, you know, trying to recruit us into religion, which, of course, didn't, didn't go down right. well. <laughs> Look, all I recall is she described this person to me, and it's like, I said, you got a license plate number? Because it was just something funny, and that was the Monday morning. And when she gave me the license plate number, I thought, yeah, that, that's, that's really, really, that's ringing a bell. I don't normally yeah. re- remember license plate numbers that much. I barely have, dif- I have difficulty remembering my own half the time. And... Um, and that's when I rang Jim, didn't get a hold of him, and then rang Tracy and clarified that, yeah, that was that number. And, and that's when everything started falling apart. 
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.